have spoken before about Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. He's a leader in the new monastic movement, which is a movement that encourages Christian communities to form in areas or neighborhoods of a city, the areas or neighborhoods that are economically depressed. And once there, then to make themselves an intricate part of the community by practicing radical hospitality and peacemaking. Jonathan is a founding member of one such community, Rootba House, located in Durham, North Carolina. Durham is a city that is extremely riddled with division, with economic um, tension, with racial tension. And the particular neighborhood where Rootba House is located is a neighborhood that I used to walk all the way around on my way to the mall as a high school student instead of walking through it. A lot of my friends actually got mugged in that neighborhood. But now Rootba House, which is a community that's very, um, very um, diverse in its makeup, has been there for several, several years. And I tell this story because Rupa House has its origins in a very real way in the parable of the Good Samaritan. In March 2003, as Operation Iraqi Freedom was gearing up, its initial campaign of shock and awe, Jonathan and his wife Leah went to Baghdad to join the Christian peacemaking teams there. And they did it to protest the start of the war. As they were leaving Baghdad a few weeks later, they were in a caravan of three cars and a piece of shrapnel hit the last car, causing that last car to crash into the ditch. Well, the first two cars, and Jonathan was in one of those, didn't see what had happened. And so they accidentally ended up going on and leaving their friends in the ditch. So they were there, stranded in the middle of nowhere, near a town called Rutba. And then this is what happened, and I'm going to tell it in the way that Jonathan tells it. He writes, Seeing our friends in distress, a car full of Iraqis stopped, pulled them out of the ditch, and drove them into Rutba for medical assistance. When they found the doctor in town, he said to our friends, Three days ago, your country bombed our hospital. But whether you are American or Iraqi, Christian or Muslim, we will take care of you because we take care of everyone. He proceeded to sew up two bleeding heads and stabilize broken bones. By the roadside near Rutba, Jonathan writes, we relived the parable of the Good Samaritan, learning about God's love from the Iraqis who are supposed to be our nation's enemy just as the Samaritans were supposed to be the enemies of the Jews to whom Jesus told this parable. We realized that we had been given the gift of community, even among our enemies. Jonathan wrote a book about his experience in Iraq, and he titled it, To Baghdad and Beyond, How I Got Born Again in Babylon. And it's a fitting title, because that experience near Rupa was fertile ground for conversion in his own life. Not conversion in the way that we often think about Christian conversion as coming to believe in particular doctrines. Jonathan and Leah were already dedicated members of the church. The conversion they experienced was one of seeing the world in a new way. 
as if they had put on a new pair of glasses. Having experienced firsthand unexpected grace in an unexpected place, they suddenly knew the life that they were called to live. And I think that's what happens when we experience the parable of the Good Samaritan, not as someone on the road passing by, but from the ditch. When we read this parable, we tend to put ourselves in the places of those passing by. We usually see ourselves as the Levite, or as the priest, and we strive to become the Samaritan. And it's okay to understand the parable in this way. It's just that when we do, it's easy for this story to become just another story about morals, for it to become part of a how-to manual on discipleship. And of course, we all know that we love our manuals. We like for things to be clear-cut. We like to know what's expected of us. The lawyer responds to Jesus' instruction to love his neighbor with the question, and who is my neighbor? Whether it be about politics, parenting, or just how to live life, sometimes we're more comfortable with things being completely unambiguous, with well-defined rules, because then we can do the minimum to meet those rules, if we know what that is. And frankly, some institutions and even some churches are more than happy to comply with our need for rules. After all, it is much easier to prescribe a certain way of acting than it is to open up a whole new way of seeing. But the parable of the Good Samaritan is all about a different way of seeing. What's the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan in this story? the way they see the man who's lying half-dead in the ditch. For the priest and the Levite, the traveler who's been robbed, beaten, and left for dead is a source of impurity, an obstacle, a nuisance, a stranger. And so they pass on by, even crossing over to the other side of the road if they need to. But when the Samaritan looks at the same person lying there beside the road, he sees a neighbor, someone with whom he has a connection a common bond. Why is it that the Samaritan is able to see the man lying there as a neighbor when the others aren't? Well, perhaps because he knows what it is to be an outcast, to be in need of mercy. In some way, shape, or form, he too has, been, has experienced being left on the side of the road, even if only metaphorically. Remember that although the Jewish people and the Samaritans shared a common history and a common heritage. Samaritans were looked on, down on by the people of Judea. If you remember, the land of Samaria was part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And when that land was conquered by the Assyrians, the people that remained in the land intermarried. And so they became known as kind of half-breed Jews. And there was no love loss between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so the question here isn't just why the Samaritan would bother to help the wounded traveler, but also why the wounded traveler, if he were a Jew, would accept help from the Samaritan in the first place. And of course that's pretty obvious. Because at the moment in time when this happens, the man on the side of the road recognized his own woundedness and his own need for grace and mercy and hospitality. 
the Levite and the priest pass by, and they are smug in the assurance that by following the law, they have already saved themselves. But the man lying there half dead is beyond any illusion that he can help himself. And in that moment of truth, the lines between Jew and Samaritan don't seem all that important. I suspect that the man who was left beaten on the way to Jericho was never the same after that day. Because when we recognize our own scrapes and cuts and bruises and find ourselves to be recipients of grace even in the midst of those wounds, well, that changes the way we see everyone and everything. Seeing ourselves there in the ditch alongside everyone else, that allows the lines of otherness to fade away. Experiencing for ourselves the mercy that actually pulls us out of the great, out of the ditch, well, that's what converts us into good Samaritans. Just as Jonathan and Leah's experience in Iraq moved them to start root the house in Walltown in Durham. Now, not all of Jesus' disciples understood this new way of seeing. In fact, you might remember a couple of weeks ago in our gospel reading from Luke, James and John asked Jesus if he wants them to command for fire to come down from heaven and consume a whole village of Samaritans. And I wonder if when Jesus told this story, if James and John thought back to that day, and if they thought now of the compassionate Samaritan in this particular story, I wonder if they began to question their own prejudice and hatred. I wonder if they caught a glimpse that day of the common humanity they shared with the Samaritans and with everyone else. All of us wounded and in need of compassion and mercy. All of us also called to be the Good Samaritan and to give that mercy and compassion to those around us just as God, as God has so fully given it to each of us. I wonder if James and John began to see in a new way. And I hope so. So I bring this up today, of course, because with all the division and all the violence that's sweeping our country, it's obvious that we too need a new way of seeing. We need Jesus to clarify for us who our neighbor is, who it is that whether we realize it or not is already a part of who we are. If Jesus were talking to us today, I wonder if he would tell us a parable about a Muslim or a person of color or a police officer or a member of the LGBT community. Perhaps we would see ourselves as the person lying in the road in need of the grace of God and in need of the grace of our neighbors too, all of our neighbors. Perhaps then we would begin to see one another with new eyes, not as a cause for fear, but as people who share God's goodness with us, as children of God who are loved by God every bit as much as we are. See, we don't just need more education or more laws or stricter enforcement of the laws that we have. We might need those things, but what we really need is a new way of seeing. We need a conversion. And the question is how to keep our hearts and our minds open for that conversion when grace meets us where we are. Amen.